0: I'm Jim Jones. I'm out of Local 271, and I've
1: got grit. Welcome to Carpenter Stories. I'm Joe Cadwell, writer, producer, and host of the show, I'm proud to bring you this special series within the Grit Northwest podcast. Carpenter Stories will introduce you to individuals whose lives have been bettered after finding a career as a professional tradesperson in the UBC. On today's show, I have the pleasure to speak with Jimmy Jones, retired journeyman carpenter and member of the Local 271. I met Jim a few years ago and admired his positive attitude and can-do spirit. Jim exemplifies what someone in the trades can achieve through hard work, tenacity, and the ability to grow and change with the industry. We'll start our conversation by learning why Jim decided to leave Oregon State University where he was working on a degree in forest engineering to become a full-time carpenter. Later, we'll hear some of the challenges and biases he encountered on the job that stemmed from him not going through a recognized union apprenticeship. Later, Jim will tell us about his time spent as a Job Corps instructor and how he feels his career came full circle when he was able to give back and share the knowledge and insight he had acquired over the years working in the trades. And we'll finish our conversation when I ask Jim to answer three questions designed to give guidance and direction to anyone interested in becoming a professional tradesperson. This is a great episode full of humor and stories that you won't want to miss. So sit back and enjoy Jimmy Jones' Carpenter Story. Jim Jones, welcome to Carpenter Stories. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for taking your time on the Saturday morning, Jim, to uh, talk with me. And I know you are a guy that I've uh, respected for quite a number of years ever since I first met you. And I'm super interested, Jim, in finding out who you were before you joined the UBC.
0: I'm a fifth generation Texan. I, I grew up in Waco, Texas and moved out to Oregon to go to school at Oregon State. I was a forestry major and transferred into the forest engineering program. After four terms at Oregon State, I was out of sync with, uh, with the engineering classes. I needed about eight months. I decided to, to work, uh, earn some tuition money, and I had a choice between framing houses at five bucks an hour or framing a shopping center at 11 bucks an hour, being represented uh, by the union. I chose the 11 bucks an hour. It was pretty easy math. and uh, And so that's how I got in. At the end of that eight months, I realized that I was where I wanted to be. I'd had a number of changes uh, in direction over the years from wanting to fly airplanes with the Air Force to wanting to be an underwater welder, and then uh, the forestry thing. I wanted to be outside. I did not want to be inside the house, okay? Uh, And I realized that a four-year degree was going to put me inside a building somewhere managing somebody else. I didn't particularly want to do that. I was working with the best carpenters that I'd ever been around in my life. And I'd done a lot of non-union stuff over the years. I didn't go straight to college. I worked for, for several years before I went to college. And uh, I realized that that what I was doing was what I wanted to do. So, so I, I chose to stay in the carpenters' union. It's been a long eight months since uh, June of 1978. That's when it was. And uh, I got to tell you, I've, I've had a hell of a good ride. I mean, a really good ride uh, over the years. I'm a retired carpenter now. I've got a good pension coming in. Thank God for that. It allows me to do things like uh, buy little sawmills and cut up lumber and, and do stuff that I want to do. I don't have to make money with my sawmill
1: because I've got a good pension coming in. I really appreciate that. It does seem like you've done a lot of things right. You are enjoying your retirement from what I can, can hear. So taking it back, Jim, to 1978 and making 11 bucks an hour, what was the UBC like back then?
0: Well, the, I think the, at that particular point in time, the apprenticeship was a three-year program. Uh, I was offered the opportunity to go into the apprenticeship program. I chose not to. I would have gone in at about a year and a half or so, about halfway through. I chose not to because at that point in time, when I was asked that question, I thought I was going to go back to college. And I just wanted to make as much money as I could before I did that. Was that a mistake? I think hindsight being 2020, I should have gone back into the apprenticeship uh, and finished it up. And why is that? Not having served the apprenticeship program, I felt like I was kind of looked down upon by some of the members, okay, because I didn't have the education. I didn't understand the vocabulary as well as some. Uh, I had a harder time keeping work. I worked hard. I, I was taught to work hard in, in Texas, believe it or not. And uh and so the, the contractors would keep me till the end of the job, but then they hardly ever took me on to the next job because they were they were grooming their apprentices for those leadership positions, and I was passed over because I didn't have that uh that education. Now uh, that being said, I went on later in life to actually teach apprenticeship classes. I think I did pretty well at that, uh, judging by by results. Uh, I taught uh, pre-apprenticeship uh, classes as well with the Job Corps. So I I really do believe in our education system that we have with the UBC. It's uh it's tremendous. Uh, I wish I had had those opportunities in the beginning, but I didn't. I think I've made up for it
1: in the long run. As do I, Jim. I came in to the UBC as a commercial diver, and I basically journeyed straight in. We don't really have an apprenticeship program, or we didn't. When I came in for divers, it was the pile driving program and someone that just wanted to dive, someone that had you know hundreds, if not thousands of hours underwater. I felt like I did not need what the apprenticeship was going to be um, offered uh, offer me. And I, too, reflect back on that and kind of a missed opportunity to, to just kind of accelerate my learning curve and, and uh, again, garner some of that respect that I think was lost early on in my career, uh, even though I was a military diver and uh, had worked quite a bit. It, it just it was a missed opportunity. You have uh, spent a lot of time, as you said, educating our apprentices, and you've also worked a lot with the Job Corps. How did you get involved with the Job Corps? And what is the Job Corps for our listeners, Jim?
0: Well, Job Corps is a program that's been around for a little over 50 years, about 55 years. Okay, and uh, the first three or four years, the carpentry programs were taught by the Forest Service. Okay, and the Forest Service knew how to build uh, uh, Forest Service structures pretty good, but they weren't able to really train their students to get into the commercial end of, of things where the where the money was. Right. And so about three or four years into the Job Corps history, uh, the UBC was contracted to provide a program of instruction to the Department of Labor. Right. Who ran the Job Corps programs. The Carpenters Union provided instructors and tools and stuff like that. They were reimbursed by the Department of Labor. Uh, it provided opportunities for our members to become those instructors on those Job Corps uh, centers, draw pretty good wages, foreman's wages. Right. And uh, you, you got uh, two thousand and eighty hours a year. And it was it was just a wonderful job.
1: Uh, wonderful job. So UBC journey level carpenters are teaching the Job Corps students carpentry skills. And who are the students that that come into Job Corps? They're
0: described as uh, our nation's disadvantaged youth. Disadvantaged youth. That's exactly right. Okay. And uh, what the requirements for getting into Job Corps has to do with uh, your income level and and mostly, it's for for kids that either aren't able to hold a job on a regular basis, or kids that didn't get through school. Okay, uh, age requirements are sixteen to twenty four. If you get in at, at twenty four, you've got two years. So you, we've had students as old as twenty six in the program, uh, and as young as sixteen. So that, there's uh, there's some issues there, actually. <laughs>
1: And, and how did you handle those issues? I mean, working with with sixteen year olds, teaching them the skills of professional carpentry, and you must have uh, experienced a lot of, um, uh, you know, challenging attitudes uh, during your years. And how did how did you put your particular skill set to use, Jim, to help them see the light of the trades? Well, I, I got to tell you, Joe, the the
0: students in Job Corps are individuals, and, and they're all different. Okay. And uh some are coming right off the streets have had uh, very little supervision in their life uh, they left home when they were real young 12 13 14 years old and so they have issues leaving the street or on the street right and uh, and coming into into job well, I've had other students that uh, had tremendous home lives and and maybe had uh, worked for a year or two framing houses or whatever they knew that, uh, Uh, we had a direct entry into the apprenticeship with the instructor's, uh, approval. And, uh, so they, they just wanted to get into the carpenter's union. And at that particular point in time, maybe we were closed or, you know, there was, wasn't a lot of work or whatever. And, and so it was an avenue for them to get into, into the union. And that's, that's what they were doing. Every, every student was different. And, uh, uh, some came, came to Job with, uh, oh different biases towards towards other cultures right uh we had uh issues with uh uh racial tension and stuff like that i don't know i think just just holding the students accountable and uh and being flexible enough to understand that sometimes you you've, you've got to be tough and sometimes you got to be understanding i think it maybe is a lot like parenting you know uh Anyway, I enjoyed it. Twelve and a half years. It was wonderful. And which location did you work at, Jim? I was at Angel Job Corps on the Central Oregon coast. Uh, I believe it's the, the finest place to work in the program.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds nice. Out of all those students over the years, the twelve and a half years you worked as a Job Corps instructor, is anyone a particular success story or someone that you thought, man, this person's not going to make it? And then they just surprised the heck out of you and and turn their, uh, their life around? Yes. Uh, we've had a number of, of successes.
0: You know, when, when I first got in, we had a young fellow named, uh, Brian that, uh, uh, he was that guy that had, was just trying to get into the union. Right. And he was easy. And it was like only three months and he had it completed and everything. And, and I told my boss, uh, uh, that, holy moly. I, I, This is is the kind of guy we wish we had a lot of. And and she said, well, Jim, in the beginning, that's true. But the ones that are really going to change your life are the ones that you'll think never are going to make it. You know, they're struggling against too much, too many obstacles. But then they turn it around, the light bulb clicks on, and you realize that you might have saved somebody's life. Right? You kept them out of the system. You put them into a career path that uh, uh, they never would have been able to access without our program. That those those are the successes that and and there have been several of them and I can talk about those if you want.
1: Well, sure. Uh, it sounds like a very satisfying, very rewarding aspect of of being an instructor. I find the same thing being an instructor at the Pacific Northwest Carpenters Institute and. Actually shining a positive light uh, on the trade, people's first choice career of being a professional carpenter, building the wealth of our nation and along the way, uh, earning the skills that are going to provide for them for the next 15, 20, 30 years of their life, providing uh, livable wages and benefits for themselves and their family uh, these members, you know, can really turn their lives around when they have the structure that an organized labor union provides, whether it's the carpenters or the plumbers, electricians, iron workers, as long as there's some structure there. And that, and, then, and again, very importantly, the representation so that when contractors should want to, to cut corners or cheat uh, the workers of wages, we have that ability to call in our representation to to make sure things get taken care of and we don't get taken advantage of. So. Yeah. What's uh, what's one story out of out of many hundreds, if not thousands stories that you you know, who is in particular just sticking out in your mind that you'd like to talk
0: about? There was one young fella. uh, Well, I don't know if I should do anything. But anyways, uh, a young fella out of Seattle. I mean, he was the class clown and he got in so much trouble on that center. You would not believe how much trouble he got into. He was always getting wrote up for something. Yeah, usually upstairs in the residential area or, or maybe in education. He did okay most of the time down with us, but I had to be on his tail pretty hard. I, at, at that point in time, I was taking students to the regional council meetings, right? Uh, and I was actually one of the first job, I was the first job instructor to did, do that because it was a little bit risky. But I decided that the potential for them getting something out of going to the meetings was was tremendous as well. So the staff, jump Corps staff said, why are you taking Brown? He's a goof off. He's, he's a knucklehead. You know, you shouldn't be rewarding him for this stuff. I said, well, yeah, but he does good down in the trade. Right. And I'm taking him by golly. Okay. Right. Well, we got up there. It was in Seattle and, and uh, I'm a little bit worried about Brown taking off, you know, because he's from Seattle, inner city. But, He he got it. He listened to what was going on and he realized that we were more than just a labor broker. We were an organization that took care of each other because of what what he heard at those regional council at the regional council meeting. Uh, And so we got him back and he said, oh, Jimmy, I've got to get into the union. Got to get into the union. Got to get into the union. So we got him in. Right. And and he did good. Uh, The first job. That he was. I called him up about a week after after he started his first job. I said, "Brown, how you doing?" Right? He said, well, "I'm doing okay." I said, "You're still working?" He said, "Oh yeah." And uh, he says, "Yeah, but but I I, I missed uh, work the first couple of days, right?" Uh, uh, he says, "I got sick and and missed work." I said, "Well, how are you still working then?" Because most of the time you get cut loose, right? You know. He said, "But I did what what you told me to do, Jimmy. I went to the job site even though I was sick." And I went up to the superintendent a half an hour before start, and I said, "I'll be here for you if you need me here." But and then I vomited in his office. <laughs> he told me to go home.
1: <laughs> we'll see you on Thursday when you get better. <laughs> yeah, 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 Oh so man! Anyway, they they
0: appreciated his uh, his desire. To, to be on the job, his, uh, his willingness to overcome the, the adversity of being ill and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he did well. He did well.
1: Yeah. It, I, again, I can see your persona and just being so effectual and relating to, uh, to people of any age and uh, being able to drive home some pretty important uh, messages about you know, leadership and accountability and, and professionalism. Uh, I also know you're you're a pretty tough guy, and uh, I heard a story recently about just how tough Jim Jones could be. And I was hoping you could ha- share the uh, the Hayloft story for the listeners, if you would.
0: <laughs> well, that's a little bit embarrassing, Joe, but I will, because uh, I'm not afraid of embarrassment. Uh, I've taught over fifty OSHA ten classes over the years, right, and uh, facilitate OSHA ten right now. As we speak, we have a, a pre-employment safety awareness class where I, I help out with the OSHA ten stuff. And so, for me to fall out of the loft that I built 30 years ago, okay, I built this barn, and and I took a tumble out of, out of the loft, and I fell nine feet. I was jerking on a hay bale that I shouldn't have been jerking on and trying to launch it over the side. The hay hook came loose. I flew over the edge, fell down across the water trough, and uh, broke three ribs, and uh, tore an artery loose a little bit, okay, and and uh, had some internal bleeding going on, stuff like that. Of course, I didn't know that. At the time, my adrenaline was up, and I felt pretty good, so I finished out uh, feeding the mules, and Climb back up into the loft, you know, after I pulled my head out of the water because my head was down in the bottom of the water trough. Had to find the damn hay hooks and they were in the bottom of the water trough, right? Uh, anyway, went went up, finished feeding. And then uh, then I, I went up to the house, changed clothes, uh, uh, shaved and, and brushed my teeth because I thought I might need to go to the, the doctor maybe later on. Uh, drove well, I realized my cell phone was smashed. Uh, that's what actually probably what might have saved me was my cell phone because it distributed the force over three ribs instead of one, <laughs> right? And so I didn't poke a rib through a lung. That was a good thing. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I, I knew I needed a cell phone, so I decided to drive to Salem because the uh, AT&T store was, this was a Sunday evening. It was going to be open till 7. I could get there just in time. Uh, So I drove the the half hour from Dallas to Salem and bought a phone and then uh, was driving back to Dallas, got pretty lightheaded, had to pull over, uh, managed to get a hold of my wife. She convinced me to go to my daughter's house. She's a nurse at Samaritan uh, in Corvallis. And, And she, when I got to her house, she said, you're going to the hospital right now, so... The hospital was pretty it West Valley Hospital in Dallas was just three doors away, so I was walking over there. She met me at the street with a wheelchair, and uh from there I got shipped back to Salem to their their first class trauma unit. There's only two in the state, so that they could deal with my uh arterial bleed. But anyway.
1: Holy smokes. Yeah, you uh you definitely got Kicked hard, not by the mule, but at least by the uh, the the food for the mule. It sounds like, and Lucky didn't dr- drown in that uh, water trough.
0: I actually had uh, had questions myself as my face was on the bottom of the water trough <laughs> as to how I was going to get out of that. But I wiggled my up <laughs> enough. That, uh, well, I'm I glad you made it
1: through. out of the water trough. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Be a boring conversation not to have you here right now. <laughs> So, so Jim, I'm going to finish up our conversation with three questions. I'd like to ask everyone that comes on to the Carpenter's Stories podcast. And uh, the first one is during your career in the UBC, what do you think the biggest challenge you had to face was? I think the biggest challenge, uh, especially in the
0: beginning was to learn to become more of a team player. I, I, I was pretty good at working by myself. It was hard becoming that that team player originally. Uh, uh, that that skill developed as as uh, as I went forward. Uh, overcoming the uh, uh, the stigma of having bought my card instead of going through the apprenticeship was tough. Uh, it took me six or seven years before I held. Long-term jobs with, with a, a single company, right? Uh, I bounced around a lot. It wasn't uh, it wasn't surprising if I got five or six jobs a year for different outfits. You know, in the beginning, it was a, it was a struggle, but uh,
1: but but I kept working. Yeah, that tenacity, and you just uh, finally push through and gain the knowledge and and uh, the respect on the job site. Next question your biggest success. I know we talked about your students' biggest success and and overall in the arc of your career with the UBC, what do you think your personal biggest success is? When I got into training is when
0: I think I really blossomed. I think that, that that was the career that, that I, that I needed to be in. Uh, I know that I, I worked, uh, uh, for John Stephens back, uh, back in the day when he was the training director at WCTC, Willamette Carpenter Training Center. And, uh, it was, it was a great job. Best job I ever had in my life. And, and I tell people that I quit the very best job I ever had in my life to take the very best job I've ever had in my life because the, the challenges of the pre-apprenticeship program with the job for so different, so different. You know, trying to to uh, help these young folks uh, learn how to work as opposed to learning the skill set. I mean, they have to learn some skill set, but but the learning how to work is tough.
1: It is. That sounds like a pretty good definition of success. And I know you are retired, as we talked about, but you are still taking advantage of the 480, which means you can uh, continue to affect other people's lives up to 480 hours a year. And I'm sure more on your own time. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I love working with young people and, uh, Mr. Mr. Hawes, our, our boss, when he told me when he was developing the PISA, the pre-employment safety awareness class, right. And the positive job site culture actually it was a, a positive job site culture that he was working on. And, uh, we were talking at a regional council meeting, I think, and, uh, He said, you know, you're the guy that I want to teach positive job site culture. Uh, I said, well, I'll let you know when I'm available. (laughs) I became available and and
1: then we went from there. There you go. And the final question, Jim, words of advice. Someone listening to this podcast right now, uh, they themselves or maybe they know someone who's interested in a career as a professional carpenter. What word of advice would you give to that person? Well, never quit. Never give
0: up. You're going to run into obstacles uh, and uh, whether it's uh, relationship obstacles on the job site, uh, uh, every relationship that we have is based, uh, if it's going to be a good relationship, it's going to be based on trust and respect. Always treat your, your fellow workers or your supervision with that respect and always work to earn trust whether it's showing up every day or or taking accountability for mistakes that you make Uh, earn that trust develop that that uh, respect level
1: and trust level and you'll do well you'll do you ask that sounds like some great advice jim again thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show you have a great weekend sir
0: And you too, as well, Jill. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Well, that wraps up this edition of Grit Northwest. If you liked today's show, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Grit Northwest is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We're also available on the web at buildnw.org forward slash podcast. For up-to-the-minute content, follow Grit Northwest on Twitter. Interested in hearing more programs like this? If so, visit laborradionetwork.org. There you'll find over 80 union and labor-specific shows designed to educate and empower you to take charge of your future. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to share the show with anyone you think may benefit from it. And until next time, this is Joe Cadwell reminding you to work safe, work smart, and stay union strong.